0: Hello, I'm Bridget, and I'm Caroline, and you are listening to episode three of Hearth Home and Homicide, a family production about family murders. My daughter Caroline and I narrate each story, and son Andy is our producer. As Caroline and I talk about each family member We keep sensitivity for victims and their families in the top of our mind. Our podcasts do include violence and trauma. Listener discretion is advised. So, Caroline, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Good. It's it's still a little chilly for it to be, you know, mid-June, but I'm doing well with that. You know, I am.
1: We're in the flippy floppy weather zone of the pre-summer here in the Northwest, which means one day you get 80, the next day you get 60, the next day you get 70, the next day you get 54, and then back to 80. So it's right, it's a bit- Yeah.
0: You know, and I wish that they would, Mother Nature would stop doing the hot weather followed by rain uh, because I have peony uh, bushes or maybe some people call it peony. Um, And these are lovely flowers until it rains and then they all lay on the ground like they've been executed. So it's just it's a it's a bloodbath out there right now because of the rain. (laughs) Roses can be the same way. Anyway, I'm sure anybody listening from the Pacific Northwest will know exactly what we're talking about. So let's leave the Pacific Northwest, Caroline, and go travel to Staten Island, New York. We're going to go to a neighborhood named Willowbrook, all one word. At the time of our murder, which is August 10, 2005, this neighborhood is a very tight-knit, mostly Orthodox Jewish community. And, you know, everyone knows everyone, and everybody's looking out for each other. And if something happens in Willowbrook, residents pour out of their homes and fill the streets to get as close as possible to figure out what is going on. And they chat with each other and they speculate and they go check on everybody. And it's just a big community. It's not like my neighborhood where we peek inconspicuously through a tiny slit in our window blinds to see who's visiting whom and why did they do that? And so forth and so on. These are definitely,
1: definitely in Northwest. Versus that's East Coast. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't want to pry. Yeah. You don't, you know, oh, that's okay. TMI, TMI. And right. yet you're spying on your neighbors. So anyway, it's <laughs> it's in Willowbrook, it's a lot more of a tight community held together by a very strong faith. And we'll talk about that as we go through our case. Our focus is on the Parsi family consisting of Seema Parsi, who is 52, and her beloved and only daughter, Eliza Parsi, whom everyone called Lizzie. So that's what we're calling her today. The big thing about Lizzie is that she is doted on. She is cherished, protected, and her plans for her life are at the center of not just her life, but the center of her mother's life as well. So I'm wondering how I would deal with something like that. I, I didn't have parents like that. Uh, today, they would probably in the uh, Western culture, by and large, it's prob- I think w- mothers like that or p- parents like that are called helicopter parents, or they used to be. That well, might think, be passe now.
1: I think these are tiger moms, but you're right. It could be a hybrid because the tiger mom is the mom, I believe you know, correct me, internet world if I'm wrong, but the tiger mom is the the mom who helps drive the child to succeed in things that the child may have not originally picked for themselves, you know, Uh, like piano, cello, uh, soccer, uh, just pushing them in all the checkbox directions to get to the right colleges, get the right friends, get the right job. I think that's a tiger mom versus the helicopter moms, like don't touch anything, don't touch anyone. Background checks for all your friends, like I think that's the helicopter mm-hmm. <laughs> I think
0: I think sema Parsi has her own l- brand of that. It's almost like between Seema and Lizzie, you've got one heart and two bodies mm yeah, but Lizzie you know she's got a secret heart too,
1: yeah,
0: and that the mom doesn't know about. I hope that's true of all teenage people. Oh, yes, I think so. Yeah, you're springing out on your own, trying different things. Seema is 52, as I said. She's a native of Israel. She's a divorced mom with her ex-husband living in Israel with Lizzie's half-brother, Leo. And Seema also has an older son living near her and Lizzie. And uh, their home, by the way, is on Rupert Avenue in this Willowbrook community. This son is Lizzie's half-brother, Raviv Gabay. So Raviv is uh, older than Lizzie. Lizzie has sort of been quasi brought up as an only child, kind of, because of the age difference between her and her half-brothers. So the mom, Seema, and her daughter were inseparable, as we have discussed. Lizzie was uh, only 18 when she died. And she was still, uh, to the day she died, very, very close to her mom. She had recently graduated high school and was working to earn money for college. She worked at a friend of the family's furniture moving business that was there in the community of Willowbrook, where Lizzie would, of course, be watched over by her boss. Sort of like a mother surrogate while Lizzie was at work. So this mother boss is keeping an eye out and probably reporting back to the mom. I don't know. I'm speculating.
1: Well, and there's such a safe in this kind of living, because I think a lot of people who have a big community, whether it's through religion or through your geography of where you live or both, there is something helpful about that, something safe about that. That, like, yes, my daughter can go out and get this job because, you know, the girl I have lunch with every week is is the owner. And so we're going to dish and we all go to the same church on Sunday. So, I mean, there's got to have this feeling of like a real cocoon here. I love it. I think that that's great.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to envy uh, someone whose life is steeped in tradition. Mm-hmm. It would certainly give you some boundaries. Right. Um, true, I don't know how orthodox... Uh Seema ran her family. Uh, the let's say the the highly um adherent Orthodox Jewish people go to the synagogue three times a day. Oh wow and no. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that it was there or maybe somewhere in the middle. They certainly celebrated a lot of holidays, all the Jewish holidays. Yeah. Um that were part of the orthodoxy of the, uh, uh, Torah, uh, the original, like somebody who was fundamentalist Christian Mm -hmm. is who I'm thinking this might be sort of like, I don't know. So I've looked it up and there's a, so such a wide span of practices, uh, but we can get into some of them anyway. Uh, so Seema's got this sweet life, and you know, the neighborhood just loved her. She would help all the girls in the neighborhood with their outfits. Now, in the Orthodox uh, Jewish culture, uh, girls don't wear slacks. They wear skirts. So maybe there was part of that. Um, maybe she just really helped people to de- uh, dress in a in a uh, modern way that is not conservative, uh, Orthodox. Jewish. I don't know. But she was very good at fashion. And I believe that's what she was going to be studying in college. It's fashion design. So um, she was planning every detail of her going away to college. And Sima was kind of the boss of that, making sure that the money was going to be there, making sure that the um, books would be paid for, all of those things. And Lizzie was, um, you know, again, definitely the center of her mother's, uh, life and her mother's the one who told her, okay, I have to get additional income. You have to go get a job and I have lined one up for you. I'm making this up, but I think this is how it went. Um, I've lined one up for you and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, really the heart and soul and the primary occupation of Seema's life was Lizzie. And so would it surprise you to find out, Caroline, that maybe Lizzie had some private uh, excursions away from that, maybe? Yeah,
1: not at all. It, that's so typical of teens. Anyway, it's a, it's part of the formula for making your own way in the world is that you hide parts of yourself from people who you love and trust even though you love and trust them it's like you're trying it on but you don't want anyone to see you know so I I believe it I believe she's got a little secret life going on
0: yeah I I agree I would believe that that Lizzie's um, did not appear to me and everything that I was able to get about her information I was able to get about her as a person. She did not have um, fallouts with her mother. She did not have fights with her mother. Her way to deal with it is to be loved and to love her mother and to keep some things away from her mother in order to not have conflict and not hurt her mother. Yeah. So, um, you know, she did do some things that were high risk things that we'll be getting into, she being Lizzie. And soon she's going to die in a horrific siblicide, which is a rare form of familicide. And that's how this case uh, came to us is her brother, her half brother would be the last person anyone would think could murder his sister, but he did. And this was not Leo who's over in Israel, but this is Raviv and uh, Raviv came across to everyone as a fierce protector of his mother and his sister. And we're going to see that it was just unthinkable to even suggest that maybe he would kill his sister. It's just impossible. So now that we're sad and we love our characters, um, let's get into it. So after graduating high school, 18-year-old, Eliza Lizzie Parsi, took a job in sales at a local moving company to earn money for college. We talked about that. And she was dreaming of being a fashion designer and was well known for picking out all of her friends and all the neighborhood children, all their outfits. So she was, uh, maybe she was going to be on the runway, you know, mm-hmm. with her own line someday. Her mom, Seema, was working and usually got home around eight. And when she got home one day, it was clear that the house had been broken into and tossed around. And Seema was immediately uh, thinking, oh, my God, somebody's broken into my house. And then she thought, well, where's Lizzie? So she went straight to Lizzie's room and the door was locked from the inside. And um, seemed, uh rushed to call the cops. I do think she went to a neighbor's first. Oh. She may have contacted the, um, the woman who ran the furniture moving store yeah. and found out that um, Lizzie wasn't there and when she was supposed to be there. Uh. And, you know, so, so there were some things that she did before she called the cops, but she did. She did call the cops.
1: It's got to be a jarring scene to walk into too. I'm just trying to imagine because the brain doesn't actually want to go to the things that do in this scenario make the most sense. Someone's broken into your home. Like it doesn't actually want to get there right away because those things are pretty surreal in your day-to-day experience. They don't happen. They happen at the movies. They happen, blah, blah, blah. So you're walking in and this is what's happening. And your first thought is your daughter, which really seems very SEMA to me to be, where's my daughter? You know? Or, like you said, if she had gotten a call saying her daughter wasn't at work and was supposed to be or hadn't showed up or left or whatever, yeah, I, it'd be frantic, but 911 wouldn't necessarily be the first thought right away. So, I thought it kind of all makes sense to me to do a little assessing first, get your brain to click what's happening and then
0: call. I think you're right on. You know, when I first moved into the house I live in now, I drove home from work one day and I noticed that the front uh, window was open mm-hmm. and um the screen was down mm-hmm. and i just stared at it for a long period of time mm-hmm. and i had some dogs at the time of course and i had them uh cordoned off with a dog gate um at that time and with so they got the back of the house and and they couldn't come to the front of the house well, I thought, well, maybe they got out and they k- tried to crash through the window. I didn't know what could have happened. I just sat there. Yeah. But then the next thing I did was I got out of my car and I went to a neighbor's house that I had only just met. I mean, even just the most superficial meeting, greeting yeah. of my neighbor. But I said, you know, this is what has happened. And she's the one who said, well, get back in your car, get out of your driveway and call 911. Yeah, yeah. And that so is the smart good, move. here. Yeah. good advice. Good advice. Mm-hmm. But I, what I took from that is that um, when you're confronted with this break-in, and I'm thinking about semen, I'm thinking about me. Mm-hmm. When you're confronted, uh, it's so personal. You just, you just try to think of some way that something about you caused this scene.
1: Okay. You know. Oh, it's like a layer I hadn't considered. I feel, I mean, you're just double victimized and then you, you blame know, yourself. <laughs> I wanted to go into my house so bad
0: because I wanted to see after my dogs. Mm-hmm. That's my family.
1: Of course. And
0: yeah. And, but I, there was a part of me that was new that they don't do that. And I, so I, that's that's where the staring came from. When you don't know what wow. to do, you're kind of
1: stuck. Brains a you're bit like, Stuck in that buffering, buffering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good way to put it. Yeah. Anyway.
0: um, So she's looking at all this and she decided to call the cops. Her dark haired beauty daughter, 18 years old, beautiful Lizzie, was found naked under a mattress in her own bedroom. So she was like in the middle of a sandwich between the mattress and the box springs. Mm. But she also had a pillow over her face. Now this is cops finding her there. They busted that door down. Her hair was wet in a way that it looked like she just got out of the shower and maybe somebody caught her by surprise.
1: Hmm.
0: Her mouth was bruised and a cordless phone was found inside a bathtub that was still filled with water. So it was not immediately clear whether Lizzie had been sexually assaulted. They couldn't tell. But they figured that she'd been in the shower, caught the intruder, and then the intruder killed her and stashed her between the mattress and box springs. But these cops were thinking, but why is there a pillow over her face? That usually happens when the killer knows their victim. And like the victim, the killer is having thoughts like, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe she's gone I don't want to see what I've done. It's too much for my brain. And, you know, that's what cover the face typically means in a murder. So Lizzie's mom was screaming and and sobbing outside her house on Rupert Avenue while investigators went over the crime scene. Neighbors had gathered around her and they were frightened about the possibility of the same thing happening to them. Um, and Seema just kept saying the same thing over and over and over and over. I'm in shock. I can't believe she's not going to show up any minute. Where is she? She's going to show up. She's going to show up. I get that. Okay. I get it. Detectives started going door to door and talking with, well, they really only had to go out in the street. I mean, the whole neighborhood's out in the street, but anyway, they had to figure out who lives where, So they went door to door, talking with neighbors as well as family members. Everybody said that Lizzie was just such a good girl. And Seema's first marriage um, produced Raviv and Leo, and a second marriage had produced Lizzie, and Lizzie lived like a princess. That's what everybody said. She just, this was the center of her mother's universe. She was the type of girl you would want to bring home in an orthodox family. OK, so I take that to mean somebody we can count on to continue to practice the orthodox right.
1: Jewish traditions. I mean, you know? I hear compliant. She's extremely compliant. Like, yes, which, you know, take it. Or yes. I, I I don't know how to feel about it either. So but that's great. Well, That's <laughs> what
0: all her neighbors saw. So they didn't know yeah. her. They knew it was part of her. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Her neighbor said that she was always smiling and she was super funny. Now, super funny can sometimes be a way to lubricate a social setting when you're not really being yourself.
1: Yes,
0: 100%. It's a mask. It can be, you know, it's also an it's just something you do and you can't stop a quippy it, person. You yeah, know.
1: like a nervous. Yeah, so it's, a good,
0: it's not a bad thing. It's no. not a bad thing. but it does go along with what you were saying a little bit wanting to go with the flow on the Orthodox Jewish community
1: thing. Yeah. You're not trying to rock any boats. You'll get, your, you know, it's like a coping strategy a little bit. You, you just shiny, happy people a little bit, you know, it's not in a bad way though. I also don't mean these things derogatorily. It's just there's some sacrifice when you do this of self, right? Oh, you pay later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you meaning me and,
0: you know, <laughs> other people I have met. Um, but t- right, she was just putting it out there. I'm a good Orthodox Jewish girl. I love my mommy. Uh, I want to be, a. I have a lot of charisma. She actually was very good with the sales job at the moving company because she was so charismatic. Uh, she had fashion designer dreams and she was always talking about that. So it's not like she was a um flat affect kind of you know shallow person no she was a lot of she had a lot of dimensions besides the part that she was keeping from her family
1: right
0: uh her boss would look at her designs and give her tips and uh set her up with other girls that she could practice on and it was just kind of fun she loved uh Manhattan she loved to go into nightclubs drink and dance uh, i don't think she uh kept that secret yeah um i don't know but i it didn't come across as a part of her uh private life that was just something that she did with other 18 year old girls in manhattan now that we can drink kind of thing can you drink at 18 in new york i didn't know i think so according to this this uh the reports that I read that that about this case that she was you know she liked to get she liked to drink and dance and go I mean, out with uh, I don't mind uh, I mean you know just just meet people and that kind of thing now these could have been Jewish Orthodox
1: nightclubs Good point actually very good point. It could have been a whole community of still people the same people but I mean that also makes sense in terms of what she's pursuing the fashion the, you know, I mean, that's, that is where you would want to be, whether you're drinking or not drinking or dancing or not dancing, you're going to immerse yourself in your potential future customer base, right? People who want to look
0: good. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that she was an extroverted person that enjoyed being with other people uh, a lot. And um so uh, who murdered my daughter, you know, and who murdered this girl from the from the investigator's standpoint, of course, he had to talk to the family, and they talked to sema, they talked to um Raviv, of course, and he had an alibi, and we'll get into that in a minute, but he immediately said, "Well, I think it it this has got to be the boyfriend, the ex boyfriend off and on, you know, I don't know if they're ex they're they're on, they're off, they're on, they're off, and so forth, and so on, but he he brought that guy up he made sure that the police would have to talk to the ex-boyfriend and uh, and Ravi really was fuming about him. He's a Muslim, you know, that's what he would say. Okay. Or he was Syrian. Yeah. I don't know really exactly okay. what his religion was, but it wasn't Orthodox Jewish, let's put it that way. In the Orthodox Jewish tradition, an autopsy must be done quickly because Lizzie's body had to be interred within one 24 hour period of time. And um, so apparently, because of this community, there's no pushing back on that. In other Mm -hmm. words, you know, there's a I don't know if there's a an Orthodox Jewish uh, pathologist. I don't know how deep that goes, but there's no pushback on that. And uh, so the medical examiner, of course, accommodated and found that Lizzie had died by homicide, by asphyxiation, noting that her mouth and nose had been covered and her neck compressed. Mm. So whoever killed her, and of course, we know it's her brother, whoever killed her tried to cut off her oxygen supply three ways, covering your mouth, covering your nose, and Compressing your neck, so he just was shutting down any oxygen that could go to her, his sister's brain.
1: Yeah, I mean those and are just lungs to breathe. <laughs> so yeah,
0: I'm all off. Yeah, it's just right. horrifying. Horrifying.
1: Man, so does that path- lead to like some kind of an intention? I mean, when they do it like that, because I'm typically I feel like if a Victim is strangled it's usually just compression of the neck right, or uh, maybe a smothering, but is this is that what this is considered smothering, or did they like i mean is it more premeditated in this way or more vicious
0: I think it is premeditated and vicious, but it's I do think that smothering is the uh putting a bag over somebody's head, putting a pillow over their nose or mouth, and a strangling is to just cut off their uh, air supply, uh, try to break their neck so that they can't get anything from the brain down to the other parts of the body, et cetera, et cetera, till death. This is like a double thing. It's a a suffocation with strangulation. Wow, God. I know, I know. But instead of, uh, it looks like to me that uh, instead of putting his hands around her throat he just the killer just um compressed her throat had her down um, um either on the floor or on the on the box springs or or wherever the killing took place oh my god during the packed funeral service the day after she was killed lissy's family kicked the ex-boyfriend out of the services which were happening and Borough Park, Brooklyn. And so it was quite a scene. And when I say family, what I mean is Raviv. Raviv saw him there, got up, jerked this guy, and carried him out of there, pushed him out of there, got him out of there. And he, the, the quotes from other people at the funeral were, you know, he went a little nuts
1: oh.
0: on this boyfriend and kicked him out. And apparently a funeral in the Orthodox Jewish tradition is a very sad kind of funeral, very different from what you and I might think of uh, as a, you know a eulogy by a priest and then or a pastor, and then people coming up as a celebration of life to talk about you know what they missed, what they loved, and maybe some video of a life story, maybe some favorite music, all of that, you know, none of that at the Jewish Orthodox funeral, it's just heavy wailing. Just everyone is raw.
1: Kind of saturate yourself in the grief of it all. Yeah.
0: Um, And then, you know, here's all this wailing going on and, and, and all this sadness and just heavy, heavy, heavy grief. Um, I wasn't there. I'm not there. I have never been to a funeral like this, but that is the gist of what I got. And then, in the midst of all this absolute raw human emotion beyond comprehension, Liz at the Lizzie's funeral, the ex boyfriend saunters in and went over to the casket, and that is when Ravi tackled, you know, tackled wow. him.
1: Tackle! Wow. I mean, I'm the I. I can't imagine the electricity in this room, both from the grief, the loss, the ritual of that, and then this conflict popping up right in the middle. I mean, that's, that's a storm of emotion right there. And none of them are really, I mean, it's really volatile.
0: It is. Now, I have looked at some funeral processions in Israel where the, um, casket is being carried from the, uh, wherever the body was all the way to the graveyard. And that's considered part of the funeral and people are behind that casket for long period of time. And so maybe some of this funeral didn't happen in the synagogue. Maybe some of it happened on the streets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but something was going on to where there could be this casket and everybody's mourning and grieving and then pops up Raviv to tackle a man that probably not everybody knew who was coming to the casket
1: and tackled him. And then you're spreading that false information because Raviv is just spreading this false. I mean, he's in his mind, the jury's out. It's a guilty plea. You know what I mean? For obvious reasons, but it's, that's frustrating because people in a highly volatile emotional situation are just going to lean on whoever they trust the most. And Raviv is a family member, so.
0: Yeah, you know, knowing that Raviv is the killer of his sis- half-sister, and you know, I hate that word, half-sister, know. but some people use it. This family used it, so I'm going to use it. Um And I guess it fits a little bit more to me than maybe a blended family because this was not so much a blended family. This appeared to me to be, he's out of the house. Yeah. They don't live together. And I don't know. um, Anyway. Uh, So here this funeral is, as you say, it's electric, it's explosive, it's dramatic. It's heavy and everybody's raw. Now what? Raviv did not know, was that detectives had already questioned the unidentified boyfriend earlier in the day. In other words, they 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 found him, they found out who he was, they found out where he lived, and they got in touch with him, and he came into the 122nd precinct station house, and he gave a full account of where he was, and that was substantiated, and no charges were filed. But, you know, police are not going to share that and they got to witness what went on that day at the funeral and um to me this is my first tale about revive set aside the murder part that he is really good at deep getting deep into a role mm. you know yeah. he is he has decided this is who I am i did not kill this my my half sister I believe the boyfriend did.
1: Yeah. It's almost like the overact. He's overselling this part, overselling the scene. Um, but, you know, we know why, but it's like, it's, yeah, he's definitely entered the role of like, I was the protector. It's gotta be, I mean, it, in his mind, you can see that he concocted this, such an easy story. Everyone will always blame the, blame the boyfriend. And then he put, you know, ads doubles down on his bed and jumps him at the, at the funeral. And, but you're right. I think that it's, it's helpful when perpetrators behave in ways that they think are so like not obvious because they're extremely obvious and they're almost always obvious to the law enforcement folks. And those are the, I mean, I just, I give it up to these law enforcement professionals, their poker faces, their ability to just. They really are, aren't they? That's That's
0: why those marriages sometimes don't work out. It's because, you know, Talk to me. I, I can't. I, can't. Mean, I know. I can. I'm shut down. I can't. I don't I mean, know. It's true.
1: They deserve to have an extra added layer of marriage counseling, family counseling because. Oh, every day before you go home. You, you every know, day before, I mean, you before you leave, both leave both and you, every day I when leave. you get home. I agree because it, it's such important work that they're doing and those who are doing it really well. Anyway, I don't want to get off on the tangent, but.
0: No, but, you know, one you. of my favorite shows is uh, Homicide H- Homicide Hunter that, that uh, Colorado, what is his name? He's a a investigator who's now in his 70s. He and his wife been married a long time. And when he talks about his family, he talks about never being there. That he, you know, uh, weekends, nights and holidays.
1: And all the detectives talk a lot too about, especially later, about how much they can't talk about the thing they would t- you know the m- thing that is hurting them the most or affecting them the most or weighing them down or beating them up they'll never be able to talk about it with these people who they love so much yeah. you know yeah I
0: don't know it's hard I think some of them do and that saves their marriage We're of course they can't to, tell their other family they have members to. even
1: the ugly part you got to figure to. out a way to share it because otherwise right. it's
0: at least share how you feel
1: yes, yes.
0: so anyway it's just devastating said Lizzie Parsi's friend, Sharon Cohen, who is 34. She had her whole life ahead of her. One odd statement came, odd to me, came from Seaman. I want to ask you, what do you think about this comment? Seema said, the only shock right now is that she's gone. She was someone I groomed, I bred and loved. Now, I'm sure she didn't mean that. To sound no. like a cattle
1: rancher. Tiger mom. That's a tiger mom comment that she did breed it oh, for six <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but I, 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 mean, I love. It's 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 I, I don't understand it because I'm not a tiger mom, but I understand that the love is there and that's all that's really important. Whatever mom you choose to be. Oh, yeah. You got it. Well, when I
0: saw that, I thought, okay, because this is a direct quote that came up in a lot of articles and um and uh, you know, police procedural kind of shows that I watched about this. Yeah. To me, what I took away from it, ultimately, after thinking, really, <laughs> that sounded <laughs> almost it's pretty crass. Well, anyway, anyway, <laughs> to me, it was her way of saying, I poured my entire life into Eliza, Lizzie, and now someone has taken her away from me. I might
1: as well be dead without her. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, her mother was pumping her. I mean, and it it it, it it's a very fine line because you know, bred her to success. like that's an awful and crass comment. You had a child. That was a one single statement truth. You wanted that child to be successful. Second full statement truth. You know, that's really what was happening. And so you did, you poured your life, every dollar you made, every job you took, every friend you made, every church decision, it had your daughter at the forefront. How does this impact my daughter? How does this impact our goals that we have set for her, right? Which is really the mom probably setting it for the daughter, but the daughter's on board. So I always feel like a good indicator is if the kids are coming and they're making an effort to have a relationship with the parent and the relationship appears genuine, then that parent probably did a great job. Right. I mean, that's. I think she did
0: a great job. I mean, from everything that I saw, I don't see anything that Lizzie Percy did uh, that had her put in a problem child category. She did shield some things. And uh, in truth, the police had already come to find out that Lizzie was very popular on Internet hookup sites. Uh Uh-oh. Now, that's dangerous behavior. Very. That's very dangerous behavior. They actually thought that this teenage girl found naked and smothered inside her Staten Island home was killed by a man she met over the Internet. And they said as much to the press the day after the funeral. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'm thinking is, dang, you know, um... Now the mother knows.
1: And, That's um, hard. a hard moment for the mom.
0: Have you ever noticed that when the tone changes in our podcast, Fiona starts barking? Yeah. I'm so sorry, but I yeah, just let yeah. her bark because she can feel the, the story is turning now. And Lizzie is doing things that can get her into some trouble. So um, they put it out there. Now, these could have been Orthodox Jewish sites. There are plenty of sites that, um, you know, there's a concept, apparently, that you're looking for your soulmate.
1: Yeah. Um, But there's another... In truth, it's still the Internet. It's still, you know, whatever someone has told you that they are, presume that that's entirely a lie. 58-year-old from California, Orthodox Jewish, you know, divorced father... Wrong, 12-year-old middle school girl from, you know, Alaska. Like, just always yep. be having that on your mind. It's the internet. Nothing is real. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she was into it. And um, unfortunately, she was bringing uh, internet dates back to her house. And in okay. fact, uh, yeah. one of the internet dates that she had planned for the night she was murdered Uh, Is why the back door was unlocked when police got there and she had unlocked it. And they found out all of this because of her messages on these sites. She had told her hookup, I'm going to, this is my dress and I'm going to leave the uh, back door unlocked. So, um,
1: you know, she had done
0: that before she had done that before. So, you know, this is somebody who's thinking since it's secret, Right. Nothing bad can happen because this is a fantasy only it was real.
1: Well, and if it so, worked before, you're right. There would be no there would be yeah. less inclination to think there's any reason to not The
0: get- uh, police had to track down every single sex partner she had found um not just dating, but she was having sex. One of the things that the um medical examiner found is that she had had sex Within 24 hours of her death, but it did not, she did not have any wounds on her, no bruising. It didn't look like any of that was related to the time of her death. So it would have been so a it part of time right, right they... up to the time of her death.
1: Oh, wow. So,
0: I mean, you know, they're going to be looking for this man. Well, a man came forward and uh, admitted, yeah, I was coming that night, that she had yeah. left the door back door unlocked. And so there was some dangerous behavior that she was engaging in that police are thinking, okay, well, now we know what happened. Now we just got to, you know, test all these people against the DNA that we have, et cetera, et cetera. So in truth, um, now they found that, you know, Lizzie had a second life that she was keeping from everyone. Was she keeping it from her friends? Was she keeping it from just her mother mm. they They don't know they didn't they now everybody in New York knows you oh. know what was going on because they're trying to track down a killer right Law enforcement sources told the press that Lizzie Parsi frequented internet chat rooms and had met with several men who she had first encountered online and that they were examining her computer hard drive and identifying potential suspects. And so forth and so forth. And they had to, um, you know, this was a lead that was pursued. And every male she had a date with was swabbed for DNA. Uh, But no one so far had refused to give a DNA. So they were starting to think, huh, this is odd. Maybe the killer didn't think he had any left or that we didn't have enough or Maybe he had used a condom and it burst, and that's why she had some um, seminal fluid in her still. Uh, The fact that there was a little speck of blood on a nearby towel was never released during the investigation. So they were also getting DNA from that, but that was held back. That's good. So... In, so that basically with the DNA, they're trying to match DNA with these men, and they have found every one of those contacts, and that none of them said they wouldn't submit. Right. But they have this holdback DNA on the blood spot on the towel. In May, Lizzie Percy had told the police that she was gang raped after she had passed out from downing 10 shots in 30 minutes in an East Harlem party. And this was investigated. So this is May. Now, she has died in August. So this is very recently. So they, the, they investigated that claim. And I don't know if her mother even ever knew about that, but uh, Lizzie went to the police about it. And then after their investigation, they determined that the sex that she had at that party was consensual. There were a lot of witnesses. Yeah. So this this just points to a big mystery to me about what Lizzie was fantasizing about, what she knew about, and what she maybe couldn't remember because of alcohol. Right. I mean, anyway, the police, of course, went back to the people from that party and collected their DNA. And uh, they checked it against the DNA that um, was uh, collected at the crime scene and there was no match there. Uh, They didn't get through all of the subjects of the internet uh, hookup dates. And I think that they found out who the killer really was before all, everything got processed. Yeah. But they after the harlem party rape accusation that lizzie had made they tested that her dna at that time okay and uh, but then they found out that it was consensual so they had that dna back that they could compare it to right away
1: oh okay
0: well these other men they were kind of waiting but they sort of Maybe we're taking their time because all
1: of these manheads said, sure, I'll give you DNA. Right. So for them, there's a little bit less concern. Yeah. Well, and I'm, right. can I just ask, because she's an 18-year-old girl uh, with a large community, both in the religious Orthodox community, as well as like her physical geographical community, where are her friends? Like, where's her bestie? Because you don't typically, I mean, maybe you do. I'm not an East Coaster. I'm not an 18 year old and I'm not into fashion or an extrovert. But you don't typically go to clubs alone. You're not out there getting led. Oh, no. She by was yourself. with her
0: friends. I was able to infer from uh, some of the background that was on uh, the shows that were made about this murder, like Oxygen did uh, a yeah. show on it. And I think there's one on YouTube about it. Okay. And, um, that she had uh friends from school.
1: Yeah. Cuz they're going to know more about fun. her her relationship activities whether that she was like not like a serial you know sort of like one night stander or like a dater or, or just a dancer or just a friends with benefits kind of girl. I mean, she her friends would know this about her whereas her mom would not.
0: Yeah, I would think um You know, just to kind of bring it back to the Orthodox Jewish and her ties to Judaism, uh, Seema Parsi sent her body to Israel
1: Mm.
0: where her father lived. And she loved Israel, her mom said, and she loved the life there. So there might have been something going on where she was living in an orthodox jewish community in new york but she may have had a longing to go back to israel and she might have had some seeking intensity as a person and i can see how trying to meet up with your soulmate um oh yeah or just you know it's a, I, I i can young. see that
1: That's, there's so much going on here that would, none of, I just want to really say though, I'm not hearing anything that I find exceptionally like, no yeah. like no, yeah it's dangerous no. risky behavior but that's why I ask about the friends that's usually tends to be where you try to mitigate that stuff in dating however I think she met
0: some of her friends from parties so that she would yeah. go in with girlfriends to New York somebody'd hit them up you want to go to this party they go to the party
1: right right and
0: then they meet people there and like I like you let's go to the do this right we'll that's meet that's you so next common.
1: week that's so oh, common yeah. so I think I'm not hearing anything that's like no oh, uh-oh we're no, up yet, no. that's a trap no this is all very common i mean and even no. the not telling your mom stuff because you have a community somewhere else where you're well yeah she didn't want to hurt her mom or have her mom uh upset yeah you're right you know she loves her mom and, Her mom's a great mom i mean that's this is all very
0: and for all i know you know maybe her mom did know but didn't want to tell her that she knew, um, but I doubt it because according to the Orthodox Judaism be- beliefs about young women and men, uh, they are allowed to try to meet their soulmate, try to find your soulmate. But you cannot have any physical contact, including kissing, holding hands, none of that until you are married.
1: You have to be married.
0: Not even holding hands. Now, how many do I think go by that? Well, it's I don't know. Business. I'm not
1: over there. It's between them and God.
0: <laughs> I know. On. So, you know, here we have the usual thing. You know, the investigation is slogging along and they're, you know, knocking people out of contention as the killer, focusing on Lizzie's dates, her sexual encounters, from the Internet presence she had. And at the crime scene, detectives had secured the crime scene for clues, uh, not secured, scoured the crime scene for clues and found a drop of blood, as I mentioned before. It wasn't much, but they did send it in for DNA, which back then it could take months. This is 2005. So it could take months to get something like that processed. Uh, and again, they had found that the back door of the house was unlocked that day. So, I mean, you know, it could be a robbery gone wrong, could be what Seema thought at the beginning. But the fact that her body was hidden under a mattress and, you know, sandwiched in there and that there was a pillowcase put over her face, mm-hmm. it, that just kept bringing them back to the killer knows her. To find her murder, even family members Seema and Raviv were interviewed. They both provided DNA without question. Raviv Gabay was 27. So he's nine years older than his sister. And I don't know if he lived in Israel with Leo mm-hmm. and then came over to America when he was, you know, an adult. But he had married a woman from a well-to-do family and they had just had a child. Okay. Stress, stress, mm-hmm. stress. Sima <laughs> is not a well-to-do family. And he has married into a well-to-do family. That's got to be, I don't know what that's like, right. but I mean, it's got to be kind of a change. And they just had a baby. Now, Raviv was given the family kosher cookie business as a wedding gift from Sima, a business. Well,
1: that's and a nice this is a, gift. Uh, <laughs> I've never experienced a Kosher.
0: It's a kosher cookie cake, you know, a lot of customers almost. who are Orthodox Jewish and Jewish of different other types are buying from this bakery. And it was in, uh, in Brooklyn, and he lived in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Aliza's, uh, excuse me, uh, Liza, Lizzie's other half-brother, Leo, and his father, I've already said, they, they lived in Israel, so they were ruled out. Seema was at work with loads of witnesses, so she's, you know, obviously got nothing to do with this. Raviv was delivering cookies to clients on Long Island during the window of time that the merge took place. So all Raviv really wanted to talk about was how suspicious the on-again, off-again boyfriend was. He was Muslim, and his family was against the relationship. His family meaning Raviv's family, right? Uh, and maybe the boyfriend's family was against it, too. The boyfriend willingly gave his DNA, and he had an alibi as well. Uh, But on September 13th, so that's not very long after the murder, results from the DNA analysis of the blood on the towel and from under Lizzie's fingernails showed that it was a match for a close male relative Of Lizzie's. Uh Uh-oh. Further DNA analysis revealed that the only possibility was that it was Revive. Detectives were shocked. This whole time, this is a quote from one of the, I think it's the chief detective. The whole time, he's been pointing us at the ex-boyfriend in order to deflect attention from himself. They never picked up on it. He was that good of an actor.
1: Okay, that's a little bit scary. And I, okay, I just for a moment, I'm trying to visualize and like take on the gut response w- when this other shoe drops for detectives who are smart and savvy and pick up on this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be 10 times what I normally get when I have those, you know, it's a moment where you have a realization in a moment, you can't really do much. It, everybody's has one, but there's a sinkingness in your tummy that happens. And
0: yeah, like everything I thought about, what I thought about was a lie.
1: Yeah, like a worldview shaking kind of moment. I've been
0: betrayed here. What a betrayal. Mm. I mean, you know, I get to you, ha- you take stuff like that personally. I don't care whether oh, yeah. you're working as a oh, yeah. detective or, but I mean, you know, to trust someone and to rule somebody out.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, now
0: they have to go back over their case mm. to trace his travels more than just superficially. Wow. Because he did deliver to this person or that person. Right. Oh, God. But they traced Raviv's travels on the day of the murder using bridge and highway cameras and tolls. So maybe he had turned his phone off or maybe his phone was not with him that day. I don't know. He claimed he was on Long Island at the time of the murder. But evidence now showed that he was actually on Staten Island near his mother's house Mm. at the time of the murder. On September 19th, uh, Raviv Gabay came to the police station for questioning. Oh, we just have a few follow-up questions. We want to make sure we know about this boyfriend. I don't know what they said, but he ran on down there. His initial adamant denials eventually gave way to an admission of guilt. So, you know, police are pretty good at getting an admission of guilt. Sometimes oh, yeah. they really
1: are. Well, and like you said, they lure. They often will lure them in. because oh, yeah. Raviva needs your help. Yeah, right. Like he, he's a part of the team. They need him, and so it's it becomes and and they're probably pissed knowing what they know now. So those actually are the best ones to watch because ooh, they're like they're like the anti serial killer. These police because they've got their yeah. little mouse. Now they're just pawing yeah. him around. It's yes. Just, I mean, it's sad to yes. enjoy that. Button. Yeah,
0: like, you know, two hours into the, you're so helpful, you're so helpful. You know, I there's a puzzle that we're trying to That's right. understand. That's right. Just one more thing. There's a puzzle. How could it be that you actually were, anyway, um, on September 19th, he came into the station. He finally admitted it. He admitted that the crime was tied to money. Money. Gabay believed that the cookie business wasn't an ample enough gift. Rude. He had heard that his mother had come into some cash following the sale of a home in Israel. So he came to the house to find and steal his mother's money. Oh my gosh. Unaware that his sister Lizzie was upstairs showering, Raviv Gabay came to the house and rummaged through his mother's dressers. Lizzie discovered him in the act and a fight ensued. Now this is according to him. Right. Raviv told police that Lizzie jumped on his back and scratched him. Well, the scratching we know happened because his DNA is under her fingernails. But she jumped on his back, according to him. He threw her off And that's when she hit her head. How many times have I heard that?
1: You're right.
0: It was an accident. He claimed it was an accident. But detectives said, but gosh, you know, the autopsy tells us a very different story. Yeah. So he was arrested. Raviv Gabay was arrested for his half-sister's murder. It's just draw dropping, said Teresa Leto, a retired New York Police Department detective with the Brooklyn South Homicide Squad. He was like a puppet master through this whole case. He had so many people manipulated. He's like this puppet
1: master. That's creepy and scary. If the That's horrifying. authorities are seeing this. Oh,
0: yes. Prosecutors told Seema Parsi that it was her son who had murdered her daughter last month. And as she sat in a Staten Island courtroom during his arraignment, she did not hide her misery. She screamed, screamed, first in Hebrew and then in English. Why? 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 Over and over. It was a demand, as his officers as the officers escorted her son, Raviv Gabay, twenty seven years old, into the courtroom. He was charged with killing his half sister Eliza Parsi, eighteen, in her Staten Island home on August ten. On that day, prosecutors said, Mr. Gabet went to his mother. And Lizzie's house, looking for a large sum of money, he believed was there. He surprised his sister. He struggled with her. He then suffocated her with a pillow and crunched her neck in, my words, out the authorities said. So they're telling the judge what this man did. And at the news conference announcing the charges, Daniel... Donovan Jr., the Staten Island District Attorney, said that Raviv Gabay and his mother were estranged at the uh, time of the murder. They were m- estranged for multiple reasons, and here's a quote from that press conference. The fight with his mother occurred just over a year ago, law enforcement officials said, and it involved money. And other Articles about this estrangement indicated that when he received a business to run, a livelihood, from his mother as a wedding present, Caroline. Yeah. So, okay, you're marrying into a girl, you're marrying a woman who grew up in a privileged household, these are people of means, I'm going to give you the family business to make it even. Right. It's an established business. No matter
1: what your circumstances, like, that's a gift. And anybody
0: who has run a family business knows it's a long game. Oh, yeah. You don't make money overnight like they do on Wall Street or like they do in, you know, Silicon Valley. And or they do on YouTube you right. know and, well, that's the or- thing
1: i think that this general you know the last couple of generations are missing the behind the curtain piece which is just you're just trying to get a good life a good legacy and something to pass on to your kids that like you said is a guaranteed income and livelihood and that's all it is now that doesn't mean you get to go by yachts it doesn't mean you take trips to the maldives every year that's not what a good life is. A good life is you well, get he, vacations, right? Like he kept going back
0: to his mother, he kept going back to his mother and saying this business is not enough. I have to have more money. I have a baby now. I, baby now. Yeah. I need more money. I have a baby now. I need more money.
1: Well, and I and, wonder how much know, of this isn't the the there's got to be a lot of cultural, a lot of social constructs creeping into the conversation because his wife is a woman of means, he's in a society that may not want the woman to be the better provider than the man, right? Like oh yeah. So mm-hmm. then he yeah. gets gifted this pressure. business. It, it's not a lucrative business and maybe he's hearing that from her side of the family. I, who knows? But there's who knows? there's this serious reaction. He presented
0: what... himself as crushed by this pressure yeah. and forced to go to his mother's house where he didn't really want to go because, you know, I'm estranged from my mother. My mother didn't provide for me enough. And then he goes into the house to find her money, which really rightfully belongs to me. I mean, in, a, right. in other words, she owes me that. I mean, though I'm making this narrative
1: up. Right. But that's the picture I have in my mind. Oh, yeah. he's His mind is jumbled, for sure, with all this other stuff. My, I need more, I need so, more, I need more. <laughs>
0: Raviv Gabay ultimately pled guilty, but this is really going to piss you off, Caroline, because it pissed me off. He pled guilty to first degree manslaughter. What? He was sentenced to eighteen years in prison. Wait, but
1: the but he shocked all those investigators. I, I know. What? that they were betrayed those investigators were lied to they don't like being lied to why did he only get 1 year for every year of her life and for mass well,
0: what is that they're not they're not um they're not the ones who decide the people who decide these plea deals are the district attorneys yeah. and they get a lot of pressure from the judges the court system because of if you tried every case judicial economy um, yes and they felt i i read somewhere that they felt that you know because he didn't go there to kill her okay i, I he did not know she was there i can see that the killing does appear to be a crime of passion yeah. one where you're out of your mind and through shock and surprise or to fight back or They were very worried that maybe he would get off because of self-defense. They were very worried that he might get off because uh, they certainly could not press for first-degree capital murder. Right. So
1: I guess when uh, you say that, I mean, we talked about this earlier about this being so awful of a case because it is accidental. There is a scenario in which had she not been home taking a shower, she would still be alive. And so that is what becomes really tragic. And I feel like his response, his reaction was one born out of an addiction response, right? I mean, and people only think of addiction in terms of drug addiction or maybe even sexual addiction. Thank you, Charlie Sheen. But it's like there is a form of addiction for everything. Everything. People exercise too much to escape things too. People, you know, seemingly healthy activities.
0: Anything you're doing because it's a compulsion. Yes. You don't want to do it. Right. And you wind up saying, Okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you do it and then you hate yourself and now you hate yourself and now you're mad at everybody else for not being as miserable as you are. Yeah. And it all just down down it goes until Mm -hmm. you're addicted. And -hmm. now you can't even remember when you weren't addicted.
1: Right. And now it's an addictive reaction. It's not even, you're not making a thoughtful response to anything anymore. You're not making calculated decisions anymore. You are reacting from this place of I need, I need, I need, I need, you know? Yes. So well,
0: Raviv seems to be the kind of guy who believed that his parents owed him something.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And... um you know, that's another podcast type. This
1: <laughs> a this, lot of kids
0: think their parents a <laughs> podcast into whether or not what do you owe your children and what do your children owe you. I will, I will admit that, and 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 you're my daughter and I'm your mother and Andy I know is going to listen to this and <laughs> so um, I believe that it gets to a point where somebody has the capacity to stand on their own and you don't owe that person anything any more. Right. That you've done everything you can to give them the tools to build a life. Yeah. Um, and likewise, if I need help, I don't believe my children owe me help. Right. I might ask my children to help me. That's right. Yeah but I don't, they don't owe me. Stop what you're doing. Right. Forget about your son's graduation from high school. Yeah. Come over. I need you to hang a picture. Yeah. I mean, you, right. No. So now some people are families, everything and everything is family. Oh, oh yeah. I, and there's a uh, plenty of people who are that way.
1: Yeah. Um, well, and there are a anyway, lot of I, obligations in a lot of families dynamics. That, that's, that's true of a lot of family dynamics. I mean, you got a lot of people out there. But
0: there are families that, that have part of their personality is to shame the other person into joining this or that function, which is, and oftentimes um, can I don't want anybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't want anybody or be around anybody who's going to be there because of duty.
1: Right. Or an obligation. I'm with you. I want a real unconditional experience and connection. Yeah, and I don't want happened. you to yeah. feel like you have to divulge anything you don't want to, to me, no. but that you would have to hide any piece of yourself from me. Because yeah. I'm like you, no. you know, I recognize that if I don't allow for a full expression of a human, that human could put themselves in a risky position in order to fulfill them, their expression fully. Right. Cause. Yes. And you
0: know, to wrap up our show today, Caroline, My thoughts are, you know, he he thought he had an entitlement to be as rich as whoever he married. Yeah. And uh, it just, you know, money became his God and he uh, worshipped it and he needed money when he needed it and he expected his mother to give it to him. And, um, but back to our victim here, uh, Lizzie. I feel bad that Lizzie felt that she had to have a secret life from her mother, and it made me think about the Amish. Um, that is, you know, they have their traditions. They have their uh, strict, unorthodox, you know, un- unrecognizable to me uh, type of beliefs about marriage and right. beliefs about God and all that kind of stuff, and about modern conveniences. But they have something called Rumspringa all one word, R-U-M-S-P-R-I-N-G-A. And during Rumspringa, and it usually starts around the age of 16, uh, an Amish uh, young person can uh, bolt from the Amish lifestyle, do what they want because they're not baptized yet. And when they get to be an adult or old enough to really think, that they know what they want for their life. They are then free to come back to the Amish uh, religion and be baptized into that religion and adhere to that religion. No secret lives are necessary in order to go out there and taste a larger world and see if you want to be a part of it. Or do you want to come back to this close-knit, cloistered, uh, protected, uh, tradition-bound Community. yeah, And I don't know if the Orthodox Jewish community has a Rumspring equivalent. I don't think so. Everything I read, it's like, here's the no list right. and a lot of paper there. And, you know, yes. here's the rules here's over the here. I yeah. mean, you know, I didn't see a lot of, you know, you're free to be an individual and explore the world and then make right. a decision. and da-da-da. But maybe I'm wrong and I'd love to be wrong. And I somebody would send me an yeah. email. Yeah. So I feel so bad for Lizzie.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, well, and Seema too, because I I don't know what that would feel like. And I don't see a lot of remorse expressed by Raviv in any of this. I feel like he's still caught up in an addiction cloud because he doesn't even care. He went forth after that and proceeded to try to falsely accuse another person, which could have easily worked. He then tried to like he didn't he's not consoling anybody. He's not weeping with sorrow at his lost half sister he's
0: i was not able to find any contrition on his part right he appears to be the kind of person who will blame anything that he does not like about himself onto other people it's other people's fault oh man that's really and it's probably lizzie's
1: fault that she was there that day well yeah right like how could she do that to him Oh, it's so hard for me to handle Uh, that. There are a lot of people like that that cannot take a piece. We all own a piece of this. So take a piece, like take one. (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right, Caroline, that ends our show today. By the way, I forgot to mention the title of our show today was The Smothering of Lizzie Parsi. And I do mean her death. I don't think that her mother smothered her. Did she feel smothered? Um, you know, something in her kept this secret.
1: Yeah. but and I probably because she knew she'd be stopped, you know, she'd well, be stopped. Well, there you go. That's it. Because I didn't get the sense that she didn't adore her mother to death and like that she wouldn't have done anything for her mother. Oh, to I know. Her. You know, I did get yeah, that.
0: I think it, no, I, I, it's, she was murdered, smothered, and I sort of do, take the word smother, the smothering of Lizzie Parsi as a double entendre, meaning not only w- did her brother smother her life yeah. right out of her body, right. but her brother became like the child of Sima that everybody remembers.
1: Right. And
0: remembers as a killer. And, you know, it's so easy for victims to be forgotten and the killer to be fascinating. I don't find you fascinating, mm-hmm. Raviv. No. I find you disgusting. And I hate it that you're going to get out of prison.
1: Me too. That's- In fact,
0: he may be out already. I couldn't find any release date for him. Yeah. I think he may be, have to fu- fully serve out his 18-year term. But that's that's only three more years. Ugh.
1: That's annoying.
0: So, yeah, well,
1: well, I just, I, I agree with you. I think that Lizzie was an exceptional human being and the world is diminished at this kind of a loss and we needed
0: her and uh, we need people like her. Yeah, for sure. So today's episode is researched, written and narrated by Bridget and Caroline. It's produced by Andy. Our research is solely based on public domain documents, including legal documents, articles, and books about our subject. And of course, we do watch 48 Hours, The Oxygen, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Our episodes are aired every other week. If you like us, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. We're on Apple and Spotify. Tell your friends about us in person and by social media. All these actions help new listeners find us. And we want to thank you. We really appreciate you for listening to our show today. And don't forget to live and let live. Bye-bye, Caroline. Bye.